heaven, you have found it, or even if you have not, would you please stand to your feet one more time this morning in the honor of the reading, the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read 14 verses this morning. Our text is found in Ezekiel, chapter 37, in verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for the reading of your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are alive and well, Lord. And Father, this morning, God, I just praise you, Lord, for all that you have done. I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you saved me out of a devil's hell. Lord, I thank you that, God, when there was no hope for me, Lord, you found hope, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, that you reached down and pulled me up out of a pit, God, that I could not get myself out of. And Lord, I thank you that today, Lord, your word is alive and you are touching lives. You are saving souls. You are moving in our midst. And this morning, I pray, God, that your word would penetrate our hearts, Lord. God, that you would anoint me to preach in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And God, we acknowledge this morning that your work is not done by might or by power, but by your spirit. And this morning, we pray that your spirit Spirit, God, would guide us and direct us, Lord. I pray that you would anoint my lips, my mind, my heart, 
and my mouth, and I yield myself to You this morning. God, use me as You would, Father. Lord, save the lost amongst us, Lord. Open the eyes of the blind, Lord. Reach into hearts, God, and do things this morning that only You can do. And Father, this morning we will be careful to give You and You only all of the praise, the honor, and the glory that You so rightfully deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In verse 1, the Word of God says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit. In the Spirit of the Lord. There are some things that can only be seen in the Spirit. As God's people, we must again begin to walk in the Spirit. The Word of God says, In Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. There are certain things about God's truths that can only be seen in the Spirit. And as God's people, we must walk in the Spirit. We must live in the Spirit. Nobody would have ever thought that when God was looking for an army, and, and, and I'm going to pause there and come back to the army later. But nobody would have ever thought that when God was looking to build an army, He would have went to a valley of bones. You see, there's things that if, that if we don't think in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and walk in the Spirit, we will try to confine God's ability to work within our own natural realm, within our own ability to comprehend that which the Lord can do. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that God is held captive by, by our lack of faith. But I am suggesting that when we think that God has to work within the natural realm that we ourselves can think of, when we, when I'm, I am saying that when we begin to try to confine what we expect God to do within realms that make sense to us, we are not biblically thinking. God can do all things at any time. He can do anything He wants with anyone He wants, any way that He wants, because He is God. And there are things that can only be seen through the Spirit. I'm going to preach here in just a minute about the Word. You know, the Bible tells us that the Word is God-breathed. And that all Scripture was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's really, if, if, if you've ever read a book and, and, and you don't quite understand what's being said in the book, would you agree that the best way to know what was said is to get a hold of the author? Yeah. That would make sense, would it not? If we do not walk in the Spirit and, 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 and ask God to, to, to allow His Spirit to illuminate His truth to us, there are certain things in Scripture that we will miss. His Word is God-breathed. And it's important to note that the very first thing we see in Ezekiel chapter 37 is that Ezekiel is brought out in the Spirit. No one would have ever guessed that God would go looking in a graveyard to build an army. Now, when we start walking in the Spirit, then we will see God work. And I have in my notes the word see in quotations. When we do our part, we begin to see 
God work. Look at verse 8. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. What was Isaiah doing when the, when the work began? He was looking. You see, God is the one that does the work. We ourselves simply trust and obey. Uh, the, the, Isaiah said, I prophesied as I was commanded. He was simply doing what he was told. He trusted the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. And when he began to trust and obey, he began to see God work. Here at Crossway, we don't save souls, but we watch God save souls. Here at Crossway, we don't work miracles, but we watch God work miracles. God is the one that does the work. We must understand that. And you see in Ezekiel chapter 37, in verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord brought me out. In verse 2, He caused. In verse 3, 4, and 5, He said. In verse 5, I will cause. And in verse 6, I will put. It is the Lord who does the work. And we must understand that our part is simply to trust and obey. God's people, again, we need to not be so worried about how it's going to work, about what it's going to look like, about how the end result is going to be, be, how we're going to get to the end result. We just need to simply trust and obey God. The Word of God says, lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will direct your path. We just need to trust God. We just need to obey God and trust that He will do the work. Our part is to trust and obey. His part is to do the work. God always does the work with His Word. This is the most important point that I'm going to preach this morning. And I want you to listen closely. God always does the work with His Word. In verse 4, Again He said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. We must understand the importance of God's Word. We must know that it is the Word of God that does the work in the heart of man. When God speaks a word, light is born into darkness. When God speaks a word, mountains rise up out of the waters. When God speaks a word, earth separates from the seas. When God speaks a word, living plants sprout up out of the dirt. The sun and moon and the stars come into being. The dead come up out of the graves. The winds and the waves obey His voice. The lame are healed and the dumb speak. The blind receive their sight and the deaf hear. When God speaks a word, things take place. And it is the spoken Word of God. It is the written Word of God that we must trust to do the work of the Lord. The church must get back to preaching the Word. We must get back to spreading the Word. Our focus is to preach and to spread the Word of God. It is the only weapon that we have in Ephesians chapter 6. We must know the Word. The church has been sidetracked. And we, at times, even as Christians, we get sidetracked. And we forget the power of the Word. 
We forget that the Word is life. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and nothing was made that was not made through Him. In Him was life. You hear that? In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. In Him was life. The Word is life. When we try to produce life as a church, when we try to give something that will produce life as a church, if it is anything but the Word, there will never be the right result. It is the Word that we must preach. If teachers, you must be teaching the Word. Laymen, you must be sharing the Word. It is what has the power to change lives. It is the spoken Word of God. And it is important to note that all this that took place in in Ezekiel chapter 37 took place because the Lord spoke it. When God has declared a thing, it will always come to pass. When God has declared a thing, it will always come to pass. And Matthew chapter 14 and verse 28. If you remember the story... Peter and the rest of the disciples are on the boat, and it's stormy, and Jesus sends them off, and Jesus is praying, and a storm comes, and the waves were boisterous, the Bible says, and Jesus comes walking on the water on top of this storm, and they were scared, and Peter looks out. And Jesus tells him not to be afraid, it is I. Talking about the spoken Word of God. And Peter said this. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter understood that if Jesus would simply speak a word, that everything that He has declared must come to pass. And Jesus spoke that one word of God. He simply said, come. And Peter came out on that water. He was a mortal man. But because the word was spoken, that mortal man could walk on the water. We must know that the word of God will always do what it's declared to do. Peter understood the power of the word. He said, Lord, just speak the word. Because when you speak it, it must come to pass. And that one word spoken by the Lord allowed that mortal man to walk on water. You see, we must know the word. The church must get back to preaching the word. I've seen people butcher that story of Peter and and say that if you just have faith, you can walk on water just like Peter. The reason Peter was able to walk on water wasn't because he had faith that he could walk on water. It's because he had faith that if the Word of God was spoken, it would come to pass. If God hasn't told you to walk on water, my friend, you're going to step out and sink. But you better believe anything that God says will come to pass. And if He were to give you the command, you'd be able to do the same thing. It is the Word of God. That we as a people must live and die on. It is the word of God that we as a church must preach into our last dying breath. We cannot get caught up in anything else. We cannot think that our purpose should be focused anywhere else. But simply to preach and to teach and to live the word of God. It is the purpose of the church. It is why we are here.
When God has declared a thing, it will always come to pass. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, the Bible says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. I want to focus on one sentence. The word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. Nothing can stop the word of God. There has been an all-out attack since the very foundations of the written Word of God for it to be destroyed. But every attack has never worked because nothing can stop the Word of God. All the demons in hell can't stop it. The government can't legislate it. Religion cannot tame it. You cannot stop the Word of God. Look at Jesus Himself. He was the Word. In John, it goes on to in, in John chapter one, it goes on to say, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we be, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." The Word became flesh. Jesus was the Word. Amen. And on the point that nothing can stop the Word, let's look at Jesus Himself. You see, the Pharisees hated Him, but they could not stop Him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in Him. Herod could not kill Him. Death could not handle Him. And the grave couldn't hold Him. You can't stop the Word of God. You can't outlive it and you can't live without it. The Word of God is our only weapon. And we must preach the Word. We must teach the Word. We must proclaim the Word. It cannot be stopped. This is why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the Word. We must preach the Word. We must trust in the ability of God's Word to do the work. This is something, again, this is specifically what I was referencing when I was saying some things can only be seen in the Spirit. I knew for a long time in my head that the Word of God was our only weapon, but I didn't really understand that. I felt like I needed to add to it. But when I began to learn that God's Word alone was enough, I began to use God's Word alone when trying to reach people for the cause of Christ. I began to use the Word of God as the tool when I witnessed. You see, it endures forever. And... We, as God's people, must learn in our communications to use the Word of God. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. Your testimony should be the Word of God. Your testimony should be how God's Word has changed your life. But you know, if you're here this morning, and the only reason that you're in church, and the only reason that you're serving God is because you've heard my story of how God changed my life and you think that I'm some superhero, it won't be long before you find out that one day I'll fall flat on my face. And if your hope is placed in me, I will not endure forever. And if when I'm trying to reach people, all that I'm ever giving them is my experience, and I'm never giving them the Word of God, 
then what I've given them will eventually fade away. But I have to trust what God's Word says. That the Word of the Lord endures forever. I have to trust that when I sit down with a friend of mine and I'm trying, to, uh, I'm trying to share with them the Scriptures and I'm trying to allow the Word of God to open the eyes of their heart to see their need for total surrender. I have to trust that if I give them the Word, it endures forever. And even when I leave and they go their way and I go mine, the Word that was given will endure in them. And at night when they lay their head down to sleep, that Word will tick around in their head. And as life goes on, they'll remember the Word that was spoken to them. And I have to trust in the Word of God to do the work. I've watched people try to reach people and they get so frustrated because they don't seem to be able to quote-unquote reach anybody. And rather than trusting in the Word, they seem to go the wrong direction and put a bunch of condemnation and, and they get harder about it and, 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 they, and, and all of a sudden it becomes a war of words and it's like they're in this battle to try to convince people of something. Just give them the Word and trust that the Word will do the work. Amen. The Bible says that the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is alive and quick. That it's sharper, it's, it's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We must trust in the Word. We must preach the Word. Live it, share it, speak it, and spread it. And the common layperson in the pew must learn that the only thing that can change a person's heart is the Word. We must live and die on the Word. One of the most, and I'm going to move, but I want to say this, one of the most common problems in the church is that we have forsaken the Word. And one of the things that we're going to see is that when the Word is spoken, things begin to happen. And some noisy things start to happen. We're going to see that. And there's this understanding within the church that when God moves, things will happen. But since we have forsaken the Word, and the Word is not producing the fire and the change that only the Word can, the church has to create false fire. We have to try to get so excited and, and batter ourselves up into some frenzy and create false fire and false excitement because the Word is not being preached and the Word is not producing life because the Word is not going forth. And our nation... And the church has found itself at this crossroads. Well, we must decide, are we going to go the route of false fire and drumming up excitement and all of this over here? Or are we going to go the route of preaching the Word and the Word only and trusting in the ability of God's Word to do what only God's Word can? When the Word is preached, 
And when the word is spoken, things begin to happen. Look at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. There was a noise. When the word of God is spoken, something will happen. When the word of God is heard, something will happen. Could you imagine being there and being Ezekiel and it looked like a hopeless situation. It looked like all hope was lost. But he did exactly what the Lord told him to do and he simply spoke what God told him to speak and all of a sudden these bones started shaking and there was a noise and a rattling. Can I tell you that when God starts to move in a place, you'll feel a rattling. You might even feel a rattling this morning in your heart. You'll feel some bones shaking and there will be some noise when the Word of God is preached and things begin to happen. Let us not be afraid of the noise. But let me say this, and this is extremely important. The noise was never the point. The noise was never the goal. The goal was to raise up an army for the sake of the glory of God. And the noise happens to be part of that process. But most folks mistake the noise for the completed process. They think if they come and everything's all powerful and they kick and they scream and they shout that therefore we've got what it takes. This is not true. I believe in shouting to the Lord. I believe in praising. The Bible says praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with, with, with a loud voice. Praise Him with song. I believe in praising the Lord. I don't, I'm not against people that want to kick and scream and shout. However, it is not the goal. And I've come across folks in my life that will show up and they'll kick and they'll scream and they'll shout. But when they leave the, when they leave the church, are no different than when they came. It is not the end result. And let us not mistake the noise for the end result. I've seen folks do it. You see, it's part of the process. And a lot of folks may have been at the place in that valley of dry bones and they've moved out of there and, and, and some life has begun to stir and there seems to be a rattling and a shaking. And so maybe they've moved into the next step of this process, but they think because they've moved that this is the end. And they live their life not actually achieving the whole reason that God brought to pass what He brought to pass. We must not stop with the noise. It was not the point. It was never the intention. Part two, the army. Look at verse 10, if you will. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, 
And they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. An exceedingly great army. I want to ask you a question this morning. And that is this. In the history of the world, especially the last 2,000 years since the birth of the New Testament church, spiritually speaking, there have been a lot of armies. And we are all in one army. But we here at Derby have a specific goal and a specific mission. And our brothers and sisters in Haiti have a specific goal and a specific mission. And our brothers and sisters around us have a specific goal and a specific mission. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, I want to know that I have been part of an exceedingly great army. I don't want to be just part of some army. And I'm thankful that I am part of the army, but I want to be part of an exceedingly great army. And I ask the question this morning, when God goes looking to build an exceedingly great army, where did He go? And how can we learn from it this morning? The answer is a graveyard. God is looking for an army and He chooses to raise up an army of dead men. Why? Why? Can I say that, first of all, because God gets the glory. How can anybody else be credited with anything for only God could do such a work? God is the one that gets the glory. We must set our goals to require the supernatural intervention of God so that nobody else could ever credit you with the accomplishment. We must set goals. We must trust in God. We must walk as though that God must intervene in every situation so that He alone could be credited for it because He alone gets the glory. God likes to work in ways that could never be accredited to anybody else but Him. This is why Jesus had to rise from the dead. Who else could raise Christ from the dead but God Himself? God likes to work in ways that confound us. I look at my life and the person I was before God saved me, and if you were to take a poll of what a person should look like that would be preaching in four or five years, I was not that person. But God likes to do things where only He can get the glory. That's number one, why God would use an army of dead men. When the Holy Spirit is doing the work, He will always point to Jesus. In John 15, 26, the Word of God says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, He shall testify of Me. He shall testify of Me. Why does God use an army of dead men? Because dead men don't care about glory for themselves. At least not of this world. 
Sometimes this pastor might come across as confident. Sometimes it's even confused as pride. But you trust me. You weren't there that day that I laid on that bed thinking I was ready to die at about 130 pounds, messed up from years of needle addiction and uncontrolled drug addiction. You weren't there that day, and I have never forgotten that snapshot of what I looked like. And I have never forgotten who I was. And I realize that all of my effort in the world could never have brought me where I am today. You see, dead men don't really care about glory for themselves because they've already died and they already recognize there is nothing of my old self that is of any use to anyone, including myself. It is God alone who is doing the work in me. It is Him alone who deserves the glory. Dead men don't care about glory for themselves. You see, God can't really use people that are real concerned about glory for themselves. There's a lot of folks that, that, that are not being used by God so much because they're so wrapped up in getting glory for themselves. They haven't really died yet. That's one of the reasons that God uses dead men to build this exceedingly great army. Number two. Number one is that God gets the glory. Number two, there are places that only dead men will go. Men who aren't dead still cling on to their lives. Men who aren't dead still cling on to their lives. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, that whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There are certain places that only dead men will go. I think about the Apostle Paul. Men who aren't dead yet don't get up and go into a city where they're afraid that somebody, they're going to be murdered. Men who haven't died to themselves don't get up after they've been nearly beaten to death and jump off shouting in joy, thank God that I was worthy of persecution for the sake of Christ. Where's the next bunch of people I can preach to? It takes a dead man. It takes somebody who's willing to die to himself and say, my life on this earth is no longer mine. I have died to my old self, but I am alive unto God. Every breath that I take, every word that I speak, it will be for the glory of His name. That is the type of person that God wants to build an exceedingly great army out of. Are you that person this morning? Are you still clinging on to, the, to your old ways? Men who haven't died to themselves yet don't look the Sanhedrin square in the eyes like Stephen did and give that blessed speech about, the, about everything that had pointed to Jesus Christ and then finish with you stiff-necked people. You, you persecute and you have slain the Christ just like your fathers persecuted the prophets who preached that He was coming. It takes a dead man to go certain places. A man that's not afraid and still clinging on to his old self. Someone that's not trying to seek glory for himself. 
Somebody that's not so concerned about whether or not he's going to be persecuted. Someone that's not so concerned about whether or not he's going to be made fun of. But someone who says, my life is not my own. And Lord, I simply yield myself to you. To God be the glory. Use me any way you want to use me, Lord. But my life is no longer mine. It is yours. And I have died to myself. Yet I live. But no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There are some things that only dead people do. Most folks aren't used by God because they still haven't died to themselves yet. They're still hanging on to their old self and their old desires. There's a certain... There is a certain place in our faith and in our relationship with God that we can not enter into without dying to ourselves completely. Let me say that again. There is a certain place in our faith and in our relationship with God that we cannot enter into without dying to ourselves and surrendering to God completely. Notice that Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. Isn't that an interesting comment? You see, when we, if you think about it, death is never the end. It is always a portal into something new. To be, to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death is never the end. It is always the start of something new. And the reason that we cling on to our old self, and the reason that we're afraid to totally surrender and give everything that I am to God, to die out to my old self, because we're afraid of what's on the other side. There is something inherently in man that says, I don't want to trust totally on anyone, even if that person is God. There is something in us that wants to feel like we still have something to offer, and, and spiritually speaking. There is something in us that, wants, that, that makes us want to feel like we are in control, we hold our destiny, and we can keep ourselves propped up. If that's you this morning, you haven't died yet. God wants complete and total dependence upon Him. And until we move into that realm, there are certain places in our faith that we can never go. There are certain things that we will never see. There are certain things that we will never do. All the shouting and screaming and praising will not move you into the next level. Only death will. There are a lot of things that are good about praise. But praise all day long does not constitute death to self. Why does God want us to die out to ourselves? The answer is because He wants us to have total dependence upon Him. And you might say, a lot of people feel this way. They think, well, I have died to God. I mean, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll go to this job. If you want me to move to a different town, I'll move to a different town. If you want me to go to a different church, I'll go to a different church. If you want me to do this thing or that thing, I'll do whatever you want me to do. 
All of those things that I just spoke about are external things. But death is an internal work. There are people that spend their life going from one job to the other, moving from one city to another city, going from one place to another place, all under the banner of, I'm just doing whatever God wants me to do. And a multitude of those folks have never really died to themselves. Can I tell you this morning that God's not so concerned about this job or that job or this place or that place or this city or that city. He's concerned about the condition of your heart. Death to myself and being alive unto God, it is an internal working. And this exceedingly great army that I want to be for the Lord requires an internal working of the Holy Spirit where I die to myself and I become alive unto God. There are multitudes of Christians who never enter into God's will for their life because they're afraid to surrender at all. We fear the unknown. We fear total dependency upon anyone, even if the dependency is upon God. We are too prideful to admit that there is nothing of my old nature that God needs. I want to close with this point. The outcome of this death is that for the first time we become alive to God. Again, in Matthew 16, 24, whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Church, we will never know the power of Jesus in His resurrection without knowing the fellowship of His sufferings and His death. But what a blessed hope to those who will believe. The, the, the promise is life and life abundant. God said for three or four different times in Ezekiel, and you shall live. And you shall live. And you shall live. And you shall live. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am God. You will never really know life until you've experienced the life that only Christ can give. You will never really understand the abundant life until you let go of yourself and until you surrender all that you are to Him and you say to God be the glory. May every breath that I breathe, every word that I speak, every thought that I think be for the praise and the glory of God. In that place and in that place only will you find the abundant life. But bless God, it is the promise that we will find life. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life and life more abundantly. Let us not be afraid of total surrender. Let us know that on the other side there is a promise of the abundant life. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those men that when God's looking for people who will go where only dead men can go, He says, you, you go. I want to be one of those men I want to be part of a church that when God's looking for a church to storm the gates of hell, if you will, He says, these folks will. Because these folks live for Me. There's no hint of self. There's no riding defense. Nothing but total surrender. Our worship team will come at this time.